Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guests today are no strangers to the podcast. When these besties started their families, they sought to work together and create a cozy community for other moms and families all over the world. Their wildly popular blog discusses the comedy, beauty, and complexity of pregnancy and parenthood in a very open way, which I can only describe as uncomfortably refreshing. <laughs> I'm so excited about their new book, The Zen Mama Guide to Finding Your Rhythm in Pregnancy, Birth, and Beyond. Zen Mamas, Teresa Palmer and Sarah Wright Olson, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Thanks for having us. <laughs> it's crazy. You both look a bit uh, like at least the same, if not younger, than the first time I interviewed you. And now you have like dim lighting. It's the dim lighting. Oh, it's the dim yeah. lighting. That's the yeah. secret. Yeah. I know. That, I'm learning all to me anyway. <laughs> dim lighting and big sunglasses. Not that you're wearing any, but don't just. <laughs> all right. Now you each have eleven kids or something like that. We'll we'll find out. We've both been here before, sometimes together, sometimes individually, and you're both very accomplished actors, but somehow super duper real kind of like what you see is what you get and super easy to talk to it's been a while and i have a lot of questions about what's happened in between <laughs> and catching up and our audience submitted some very juicy questions for you as yeah. well via social media but before we get to that let's uh, recap how this all got started how did zen mamas come to be well, we tell this funny story about how we met, which was we were at Earth Cafe on Melrose, uh-huh. right in the middle of West Hollywood. It was like Sarah and I and about six other girls, everyone, they were all actresses, and everyone was talking about, oh, did you see the script? Did you go for this audition? Who's your agent? You know, are you signing with a publicist this month? And Sarah and I were like, do you want to have babies? <laughs> <laughs> And so Sarah and I really bonded over this hilarious love for having babies when we were babies ourselves. And I think once we both had our first children, finally, we realized that parenting and everything that came with it for us was such a true passion of ours. And we were so lucky to be around people like you, Dr. Berlin, and so many wonderful midwives and people we had spoken to throughout our pregnancy and birthing experiences that we felt so equipped with all this knowledge that we wanted to share because of all the wonderful people we were meeting along our path. And so we're like, why don't we just start a blog and we'll just write about all of our experiences and we'll also let it be one in which everyone has a voice. So if anyone has a story they want to share, they can share it on the blog too. It's not just going to be her and I writing, it's going to be the entire community. And that's really how it started at the end of 2014. And I think, you know, one of the things that was so important to us was creating the space where it really felt like, you know, women supporting women. We're a sisterhood. It's like, how do you lift someone else up? And listening to people's stories is so important. Like, Telling your story is really important. And that was a way for us to be able to create this safe space where people could come and share. Yeah, without judgment. Yeah. 
It's kind of interesting because both of you separately threw me off when I would work with you because <laughs> you would be like, how are you doing? And how's your family? And what's going on? And I'm like, me? <laughs> it's not about me. <laughs> it's about you. But like, there's this genuine interest and like warmth and curiosity. And it's always refreshing. And I think that probably anybody who connects with you, whether through the blog or the book, is going to feel that and flock towards it and bring all their other mommy friends. So, um, I mean, personally, I just wanted to talk about scripts and auditions, but I guess we'll talk about this more. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> we were like, no, nah, we're not interested in that. <laughs> but kind of like, let's talk about that for a second, though, because okay. when it comes to any career, entertainment, I think even more so, it's really a tough juggle. You know, um, I have mm-hmm. this semi popular idea and it's not my own idea but it's something that i read and i really cling on to that men oftentimes not always are hardwired that uh, when a baby comes into the family we're just hardwired to go hunt and gather more and bring home more to feed the growing family and (laughs) women oftentimes but not always are sort of hardwired to stay around the nest and do everything for the newborn And in today's day and age, it doesn't often work like that. First of all, gender roles are all over the place. You can do whatever you want to, Mm -hmm. and and things are a lot less traditional than they once were. But even so, like, men get rewarded for going out and working more. But women are kind of split, pulled in between being home around the nest and going out and working. And I see a lot of people struggle with that in general, but in entertainment even more so, to be able to go out and audition and take roles and sometimes have to travel very far away for whatever it is that you're shooting. So I see just this trend where a lot of women in entertainment don't have babies until their late 30s or early 40s, but you guys are like 19 and you each have a bunch of kids. (laughs) Not true. (laughs) We were overly ambitious. Yeah. (laughs) All of it. (laughs) How do you do that? How do you juggle those things? And especially with your partners also in entertainment. You know, it's interesting because I think when I first became a mama, I definitely was like, I'm going to work and I'm going to be a mom. And I, you know, I'm always going to have my kid with me and they're always going to come with me to set. And that's really great when you're like working in the same town as your partner, right? So like Eric works in LA and, you know, when Wyatt was first born, I was able to do a show that worked here in LA as well. And then stuff was sort of coming to me later that was after that experience that was out of town. And I think there was a lot of, you know, conversation like, okay, do I go shoot something out of town? I mean, cause he was definitely going to be shooting here. So it's always this sort of like conversation that comes up. Is it worth it? And what is it that is really important to me? What do I want to do? Do I want to go in Canada and shoot a show and, you know, take my kids with me and be away from my husband? Is that how I want to spend the next eight months of my life or going back and forth? Or do I want to try to find something here and just do a project that I really love? And if that comes my way, great. And if not, that's okay too. Um, I mean, that's a privilege because my husband's working on a TV show right now. So, you know, I'm able to do that. But I think that I found some of my passions in life, not just acting, but also in writing with Teresa and 
um, starting my company Bayo with Anna, which is a plant-based organic skincare line and being able to do that with my girlfriends and being able to like throw myself into things that I'm passionate about. That's not just about, okay, now I have to go shoot something that shoots in Australia and be away from my family. You know, I think that is a good problem to have if you have those things come up. But it's also something to think about, like, what is it that you want to spend your time doing? What's your passion and what's important to you when you have a family? And what are you able to do? What's coming your way? And for me, then I like to try to work here if I can. And if I can't and we need, you know, to do something else, then we'll try to go somewhere else with it. Well, I think when people hear that from someone in acting, the assumption is that you're going to have like a dozen people just doing everything for your kids. But I've never seen you like right now you're sitting on a ball bouncing a a baby. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen you like not be super hands on no matter what else it is that you're doing Mm -hmm. uh, work wise. I think it's amazing. Like I always say this also, it's like amazing what you guys do versus what we do to bring babies into the world. Like the whole growing them in your body and (laughs) delivering them through your body and feeding them with your body and our parts sort of embarrassing but um, <laughs> but then to be pulled in two different directions and juggle all of that and somehow still take us care of us toddlers uh, husbands uh, is, <laughs> is kind of amazing well your support system is really important too I mean that's you know part of it is that a lot of times you have family members right that can come and help you and we don't have family here so I do have an amazing nanny slash doula slash best friend of mine, Sonia, who um, I don't know how our life would work without her as our teammate, you know, but it's just so nice to have that support for sure. And that I'm able to have that support with her. Well, Tracy, you traveled around the world mm-hmm. while your family was <laughs> yes. growing. How was that? It was good. Look, I'm in a different situation to Sarah in that my husband he's an independent filmmaker. So he actually writes, so he can come on the road with us, which means we really have that flexibility to be able to travel. So I live half of the time in Australia. And then I was living in Wales. I was shooting a show there. And I probably annoyingly so (laughs) to some producers, you know, I'm quite vocal about my needs as a parent and my want and my desire to have my children around to be hands-on. And actually, I feel like I have been so beautifully embraced since I've had children that every set I've been on, um, I've been afforded the luxury of having a space for them to go in my trailer. And oftentimes my mum will travel with us and not always. She's getting a bit older now and a little bit more tired, so she's she's not with us as much anymore. And uh, if I'm working, we don't have a nanny if I'm not working. It's just Mark and I and the kids. But if I am working, I usually choose a friend from home. My best friend Cass has travelled with us before. She works for Sarah and I um, at Yours and Mama. And then I have another great friend, Susie, and if she's available, she'll come with me. So it's been great because I've been able to sort of keep this community around me who I love and I value and they can support me while I work yet I can still have my kids around set I can breastfeed whenever I need to I get to be hands-on and get to be with them during their day which is really lovely and I can understand the privilege that that is because 
not everyone can bring their kids to work, but because of what we do, we as actors in particular, not everyone on the film set would be able to bring their children to work, but as actors, you're really well taken care of. And in that respect, I feel incredibly blessed and lucky that I've been able to manage both being a mum, which is my passion and my dream and everything that I get excited about, but also acting, which is another part of my life that I really enjoy. I think they remember you going to an award ceremony and having like a hotel room across the street so you can <laughs> run yeah, out. Yeah, and, and I borrowed it. Sarah's nanny because I didn't have a nanny. And I was like, Sarah, do you mind? Can I steal her for one night? <laughs> and she sat in this hotel room and mm-hmm. I was at the Golden Globes and I would just race up in my dress and be like, Sonia, is everything okay? And of course, she's like a baby whisperer and was amazing with my little three-week-old forest. Wow. And I feel breastfeed and then she helped me zip back into my dress and I'd <laughs> run back down again. That's yeah, amazing. she was great. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I have lots of questions about finding your rhythm in pregnancy, birth and beyond. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. <laughs> Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Sarah Wright Olson and Teresa Palmer, the Zen Mamas. All right, so you learned a ton over your journey. You both have you have three kids each. Now you've given birth three times. Should we say that? Yes, I have yes. a baby in my tummy as well. Oh, you do? <laughs> I do. Do you want to see my tummy? I'll show you. Look yeah. how massive this is. Oh my god! This is only fourteen weeks. What? What? <laughs> oh, look, who's oh. Mine still wins. Yeah, sorry. That's the other thing. I've seen you both through every stage of pregnancy, and I know. none of you have ever caught up to my tummy. <laughs> Come on, I've given you quite the run for your you, money. Actually, you you get out there <laughs> with your 19-pound children. Um, wow, so you're having another one. This is my surprise baby. My little surprise girl who decided to join our family, which is so, so, so sweet. I mean, Sarah knows I wanted to have 17 children anyway. So um, this little blessing 
came along. A, a dozen more surprises and you'll be there. <laughs> no, Mark's like, no way, no way. He doesn't want any more. He's like, I'm closing up shop. We are done after this, baby. I hope I can convince him. <laughs> I, yeah, I found out the woman decides, you know, I thought we were only going to have two. Yeah. You had a nice surprise there, didn't you? Yeah, now we have four. I don't know. She's very convincing. Uh, (laughs) So what are some of the things that you've found out the hard way that nobody told you that you wish you would have known? One thing for me is uh, actually this is just a very specific birthing thing. In my first birth, I had read a bunch of books, not necessarily all the ones I should have read, but I had a posterior baby Mm -hmm. and I didn't really know what that meant. And now obviously having uh, the perspective and knowing how I'm able to help with optimal birthing positioning, I wish I had done that because I had such um, a very arduous, like two day long labor which was just stop and start and I had pre-ruptured membranes so my waters broke and labor didn't kick start and it's just funny because then obviously with my second baby I had a posterior baby again but I was like right now I know (laughs) now I know what to do and I did spinning babies and I did all the different things to help turn the baby and just get the baby in the right position so that's just a very specific thing that I wish I could go back myself who went through those two days of being like what's happening oh my god my back (laughs) is breaking poor Sarah she's at my birth she was putting all her weight like her and Mark together (laughs) putting so much counter pressure on my back and I was still like help I'm dying oh (laughs) gosh I can't even imagine that (laughs) I have no idea if I had pain in my back Um, you had pain in your tailbone oh that's right yes a lot Oh, I think every birth, actually, I've had pain in my tailbone. In the birth with winter, I also had like crazy tailbone pain. That I'm sure that's a positioning thing. Yeah, for me, I think going back, gosh, I don't think I realized and it was really wonderful that I had this great doula my first time around. Anna Paula was an incredible birthing doula. And she had told me to set something up for myself because I didn't have family here. She's like, if there's any way that you can have friends come over and help you with food or, you know, have someone come by just like once a week and help you like do laundry or something. Because she knew that my husband was going to be going back to work and working, you know, like 14 to 16 hours a day on the show at that time. So she kind of pushed me to make some choices for my afterbirth plan. And I ended up hiring a postpartum doula just for a couple of days a week. And it was like the greatest thing ever to be able to have that. And then I also had friends who came by and helped me with laundry and helped me with food and not having any support would have been really tough because during labor, I actually popped a rib. Is that how you would say it? Yeah. Yeah. You remember that? So Mm -hmm. like a rib kind of popped on my chest and I wasn't able to pick up the baby on my own for the first couple of weeks. And so I needed a lot of help. It was super painful to do that. So I don't know. I like, I'm glad that she had that. I would not have known that had she 
not mentioned like, oh, you might actually need some help. I was like, oh, I can do it all. I'll be fine. And I'm so glad that she set me up for that. I also didn't realize the kind of annoyance that after you give birth, when they push on your stomach to get the placenta out, (laughs) that part, like, I guess, I mean, do you want to know that? Or do you not want to know that? I'm not sure. I've thought about it every time I've given birth. I despise that part so much because (laughs) it's over. Birth is over. The baby is out. It's on your chest. You're ready to start breastfeeding. They're like still sucking snot out of baby's nose. Like things are happening. You're seeing stuff being pulled away. You feel relieved that, you know, you finally push baby out. And then this nurse or midwife or whoever just starts like pressing on your stomach to help do what, Dr. B? They're like helping your... Uh, the clots. They want to make sure you have no clots and that your uterus can start to uh, stop all the bleeding and yeah. uh, start yeah. to heal. Yeah. yeah. And they're trying to get that placenta out. And uh, not going to lie, I absolutely hate it so much. <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen anybody ask for more of that. <laughs> Yeah, could you do that again? It doesn't hurt to let people know that that is something that is not great, but it's, you know, it needs to happen. Yeah, I do see that, especially at home birth, because, you know, once the baby comes out, you do think, hey, this is great. I did, we did it. (laughs) And then there's more stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah. Birth of placenta, and then they do that mean massage, but you know, it's for a good cause. The other thing is, I like to look at nature and see like what the other animals are doing. It's not always like you know, we're gonna do what they do. Like sometimes, you know, animals give birth and they eat the baby, which I don't recommend, but (laughs) I've never seen this maneuver where you know, an elephant gives birth and then another elephant comes and starts jamming on the belly afterwards, you know. Thank you. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a medical necessity <laughs> oh for it. I'm goodness. not a medical doctor, but, uh, you know, I'm just curious how they do it in nature. Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. Do you have from pregnancy a memorable moment, each of you from your various pregnancies? I probably have a memorable moment from each of your pregnancies. (laughs) (laughs) I think like this pregnancy being during this, you know, pandemic is very, it's going to be one for the books for me, for sure. Because I think I went through such a wide range of emotions and sort of levels of, okay, I'm feeling really good, feeling very neutral about everything to like levels of anxiety (laughs) to, you know, Mm -hmm. being worried about going to my doctor's appointments. I mean, truly I did see Dr. B. I normally see him lots more, but towards the end of this pregnancy, I needed to see him so bad because we just came back from a big road trip with our airstream and I was probably eight and a half months pregnant at that time. And I was like, Dr. B, my back is all out of whack. Can you come over during the pandemic outside and work on me? And he did. And I was wearing goggles and (laughs) a face mask, like legit my kids swimming goggles, a uh, face mask. And I don't know, he kept saying I was wearing a wetsuit or a scuba suit. I was like, how am I going to do this massage from six feet away? <laughs> oh my God. I know. I had been dreaming for like eight months of him just cracking my spine because it felt so compressed. 
And I was like, I can't wait anymore. I need you to come and help me. But yeah, I think that whole pregnancy will just be very memorable because it was just, you know, when it started off, I just had a pregnancy loss and then I was pregnant and I went through like a couple of really solid weeks of being nervous. And then I knew the baby was okay. And then we had a pandemic. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not going anywhere. Colorful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, specific memorable things, you know, with all of my pregnancies, I get obsessed with playing certain games on my phone. So like my first pregnancy, I became obsessed with this like Dyna Dash game and I would sit in the bath like playing Dyna Dash like over and over for like an hour and a half. Okay, that is amazing. It's really weird. Mark always (laughs) brings it up. He's like, you and the weird game obsessions. And then with Forrest, it was the Monopoly app and I would dream about it. Every night I'd wake up thinking about like what my next strategy was and it was always to buy up all the houses and create a housing shortage for the other players so they oh, could get houses the and I would never method. turn them into hotels. <laughs> I was like, never get hotels because you will cause a housing shortage if you only put four houses on each of your colour sets. Anyway, what a nerd, I know. Is that Um, how you know you're pregnant? At the beginning, you're like, ah, Candy Crush, I must be pregnant. Do you know what? I became obsessed with SimCity this time, and this was our surprise baby, and I downloaded SimCity, and I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. And I just (laughs) kept playing, and I was like, oh, whoa, this is amazing. I was getting really obsessed with it. And Mark's like, oh, you're so nuts. And then sure enough, I took a pregnancy test, and boom, pregnant. There you go. That's the new test. That's, that's how you tell. Strange, that's such a strange thing. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. And then, of course, like with my third pregnancy with Poet, my pre-COVID pregnancy, which is my 2018 pregnancy, I tested positive for antibodies, which is just this routine blood test that you get at 12 weeks. Well, it basically <laughs> caused a shitstorm, and it meant I had to have really crazy, intense monitoring because my husband has this rare antigen with his blood called the Duffy gene, which essentially means that my baby inherited this gene. My body thought of my baby as a foreign object and started building up these antibodies to essentially attack her and reject the pregnancy. So that started at 12 weeks. And so I would have to get my blood tested every second week to see how much I was attacking the baby. And it can get to the point where your baby has to have an in utero blood transfusion. They can be born really jaundiced you know, premature birth, there's lots of complications. And so it's called an isoimmunization pregnancy. And so that was like, oh, here we go. Because I just always get random things. I also had like an eyebrow aneurysm in that pregnancy as well. Which is just, <laughs> all these weird things happen to me when I'm pregnant. And I swear to God, I'm just waiting. I'm 14 weeks now. I was like, when's it going to happen? What's going to happen this time? <laughs> But yeah, well, there is a worldwide pandemic. I was gonna say you're you're (laughs) having a baby during a pandemic, so there's your thing, which is hilarious. So anyway, that was a very colorful pregnancy, but she was fine, and my body actually stopped, which was quite miraculous. Apparently, it just stopped creating antibodies. Uh, It got to about 17 weeks, and was like, ah, she's fine, she's cool. She passed the test. (laughs) Yeah, we'll keep her. Thankfully. You know, your blog and and now your book really 
talk about everything. I know that the title is Finding Rhythm in Pregnancy, Birth and Beyond, but you talk about pre-pregnancy, pregnancy, all the different stages, getting ready for birth, birth itself, postpartum, early parenting. You really cover a lot of stuff and, you know, each step of the way, you've lived it together many times and you have this community that contributes as well. There's a lot of great information there that I think is hard to find. It's hard to find it compiled in a way that's easy to digest. So I'm really glad that you did it. And not only that you did it, you did it in your style. We're going to take another break. When I come back, I want to learn more about the structure of the book, but also I have these juicy questions that were submitted and I'd be letting my audience down if I didn't blush as I read them to you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Teresa Palmer and Sarah Wright Olson. So let's talk about this. I put out on social media, I'm like, I am interviewing the Zen Mamas tonight. What do you want to know? I have all these questions. This first question is is a question that I also had when we had our second baby, which is, um, you know, nervousness about having a second baby. And am I really going to be able to have enough love for both of them, love them the same? Uh, surely you went through that as well. Yeah, for sure. I remember you're so, your first baby is so all encompassing. And I was so obsessed with my son. Like he was the entire world to me. And then when I got pregnant with my second son, I did question that. I was like, how, how will my heart expand? But it just does. And then your love grows infinitely. Uh, And I think seeing the two of your children interacting is one of the most profound experiences and seeing their love grow for each other is just such a divine and sort of spiritual experience in many ways. And, you know, it's always the cliche, your heart just grows bigger. It really does. But you love, I think, you love your children with every bit of your being, but you love each of them individually and differently and uniquely. And it's just such a, an interesting thing because love can't be, I always say this, if one of my kids is like, do you love daddy more than me? Or do you love Forrest more than me? I was like, love can't be measured like that. Love is just a big, beautiful, incredible feeling. And you guys are loved more than I could ever explain. So it just happens. You just love them. And I did have a period of mourning. I think when I was 37 weeks pregnant to 40 weeks pregnant, I was very hormonal, but I was grieving. I was sort of breaking up with the idea that it was just me and my little man. I was just the two of us against the world together because I knew that dynamic was going to change. But what was birthed, pardon the pun, was something more beautiful and incredible So, yeah, I wouldn't worry about that at all. And I would say, have all the babies. (laughs) (laughs) My oldest will sometimes sit around the table after the younger ones have uh, gone off to rest on the couch or play or whatever. And he'll never let us forget. He's like, look, it's the original three. (laughs) 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 And I was like, you know, before you, there were the original two. It was just mom and dad. Oh, my God. That's so funny if I have like a quiet moment with Bodhi because I fall asleep with them 
every night. I sleep in the middle of the two of them and I go down, I put them to sleep and usually Forrest will fall asleep before Bodhi. But I often say to him, I was like, you're my firstborn. Oh my goodness. Can you remember that time when it was just you and I? And he says that he remembers, but he only really remembers a world in which there was all these brothers and sisters. So So here, I'm going to read a few more questions. How do you preserve the relationship with your husbands as your family grows? Um, I think it's different for everyone. (laughs) And it's also different with each child that comes along. You know, the first time around, it's... um, It's interesting because you're definitely falling into your role as a parent and you're also sort of having to navigate, okay, what does our relationship look like now that we're mom and dad? Like, how do we make time for each other? And that I think was part of something probably that I overthought about, you know, right after I had my first was, okay, like, do we need to have date night or, you know, do we need to have like this time alone where we just stare at each other and focus on each other. And for every relationship, I have to imagine that it's just going to look really different for Eric and I, I think trying to like make a special day where we get together and we do something, it was like almost too much. You know, sometimes he would be busy doing work or I would be busy doing my work. And it was like, Oh, how do we fit this in? And it was for us, it just made more sense to kind of, let it flow. And when we had time together, it was amazing. And then when, you know, it was me and him and Wyatt, we were also so stoked on that. And because he's working 16 hours a day or 12 hours a day or whatever it is on set, when he was home, he definitely wanted to have that like focus time with Wyatt. So we always said that for us, the weekends are family time and we try to like not over schedule anything. And that's always been something that we do is we'll like go on a little excursion out on a hike or out to the beach or something. And then, you know, when we had Esme, then I kind of felt like Eric would go off and do stuff with Wyatt. And then, you know, I would be with the baby and then we would all come together and do stuff together. And so it really changes your family changes and things kind of grow and change in a different way. But Just making sure that we were communicating with each other about that time, I think was the most important. Like if one of us needed it, having that communication was really important for us. That makes sense. You know, it's kind of interesting. We we've gone through different phases of realizing it's hard sometimes to have enough of you for even yourself. And certainly yeah. you end up last on the totem pole oftentimes. And then for the kids and for your partner. And now we've done all sorts of different things like a low night, just us with one kid at a time so that they get spotlight attention. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, now my oldest is about to be a senior in high school and I can already like, you know, taste how he's gonna leave the house and I, it's like devastating. I'm like, no, don't do it. <laughs> Just stay with yeah. us forever and be a little guy. It's hard to find time for everybody. But it's important. I think communication is key. I have two mm-hmm. juicy questions here. One of them is from two different people. Uh, one mom wants to know after breastfeeding, will my breasts ever be the same? 
<laughs> I wouldn't know because I haven't stopped breastfeeding since 2014. <laughs> so I don't know. They're not looking amazing yet. I'm hopeful that when we're all finished, maybe they'll just kind of bounce right back up to their 27-year-old selves. But no, I'm not sure that they ever will, apparently. I have heard from no. people that the boobies just change shape. My experience is they do kind of change shape. And then once the milk is completely gone, they look quite a bit different than what I remember them looking. But now it's been so long ago that I can't really even remember what they looked like totally. I just. <laughs> if someone told me, I remember this was like maybe when I was pregnant with my second, that like your boobs end up resembling, like if you put a sock on your boob and then you dropped a billiard ball at the end of the sock, that is what <laughs> they would look like. Oh, my God, how exciting. Thank you so much for letting me know. <laughs> that was so mean. By the way, I have had a moment after breastfeeding where I did not have milk. And I don't know. It just depends on your um, – for me, I was like, okay, I need to get used to this for a minute because I've had milk in my boobs for a while and I've really enjoyed that situation. But now that they're emptier, I need a minute to get used to that. <laughs> I, I breastfeed through pregnancy onto tandem breastfeeding. Then I get pregnant again onto more tandem breastfeeding. So I've just done that since 2014. But I'll go through a period of time where like, right before I'm getting pregnant and my kids like almost two because I usually get pregnant right before they're two where they've just shrunk I just don't have boobs anymore and I've always had boobs my whole life I've had pretty big boobs and then all of a sudden they're just these like little little things I'm like oh my god I've always wanted to have less boob and I'm finally like, I look cool in those low cut tops now and I can wear the singlets without a bra <laughs> and wow, this is what it feels like not to have boobs. So I didn't mind it actually, but now they're growing all massive again, being pregnant and breastfeeding. You know, I have really long eyelashes and when I was in like <laughs> seventh grade, some of the girls were jealous of my eyelashes and my boobs, but then in like ninth grade... <laughs> They totally took over. Anyway, I was hoping after we had four kids, maybe I would end up, but I, I didn't. They're still the same size. Anyway, I'm trying to contribute to the conversation. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. On this one, this other one, which I think actually a lot of people struggle with, she's five weeks postpartum and um, she's craving intimacy with her husband, but she's terrified of what that's going to feel like. Any ideas on how to rekindle the intimacy? Take it really slow, I think. Like don't rush into, and I think they say wait at least six weeks postpartum before having sex again. And make sure you communicate with your husband. Like just be like, you need to listen to me. I'm going to tell you, yes, that's okay. No, that's not okay. And I just think, you know, that first time, don't imagine it's going to be some amazing sexy romp because it's not going to be like that. It's going to probably be a little <laughs> bit more like talking through it. And then once you've done it one time, then you're fine. Then you can get back into the rhythm of it. <laughs> yeah. Think about it like you're about to have sex again for the first time ever. You're like, oh, I'm a virgin again. <laughs> yeah. Like, think about it like that. You got to go slow. Take it easy. Don't rush into it. <laughs> Is that true each time with each kid? Yeah, it, it has been. Yeah, for me too. I mean, everything just kind of feels more tender. Yeah. yeah. 
the way to say it. It just feels like a little bit more tender. And for me personally, sorry, I'm going to speak just for myself. Um, I personally feel a little bit more aware of my body and everything that it's gone through. So at that time, I think I want to be a little bit gentler to myself. I'll say as well, it also depends on how your birth went too. So I had some vaginal trauma with my first (laughs) birth and I tore right up by the little sensitive spot up there. And that was so bloody painful. I got to tell you, I was not interested in doing it for so long. I was like, no one even gets to be down there at all. Like, go away. But then with my second, and that was a, a land birth. I call it a land birth. <laughs> As um, opposed to water. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was on my back pushing in that position. All the things that I had read not to do, but Anyway, that's what I ended up doing was I had just sort of a vaginal birth, a natural birth, but I tore and your placenta gets stuck and I have to do a manual extraction. Oh, wow. Just that whole area was not interested in having anyone near it for so long. Then after the water births, I had the most gentle, healing, beautiful, amazing births, my second and third, that I honestly felt totally fine down there and I definitely was way more ready to get back and get jiggy with it with my husband long before (laughs) I did my first and that for me is the water birth and the pushing aspect of giving birth in water um it was just such a different feeling for me that I didn't really feel like there was any trauma at all down there. Especially the contrast for you between one and two. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, my wife already brings a security guard to stand by the bedroom door for about 10 weeks. (laughs) (laughs) You also feel really touched out, I think too, because you you have a baby on you at all times. You're all milky and leaky. uh, I don't think what anybody understands either is that when you've been like caring for a newborn, changing your milk shirt, you know, changing your like giant granny panties, doing all the things that you've been doing over the past, you know, six to 10 weeks or whatever that ends up happening, then you're right, Teresa, with like the feeling touched out aspect, you feel, or at least I did, I felt a little bit like the only real time that I would have any time for myself was like, if I was like walking to go take a shower or something. So you're kind of like, where do we fit this in? Cause I need to like sleep, take care of the baby, breastfeed, mm-hmm. like all that stuff too. So video I games, think- it's not easy. Video games, you know, those you get Candy crush in the bathtub. (laughs) Exactly. Um, All right. So, I mean, by way of example, there's nothing that you're not willing to talk about openly and honestly. And (laughs) the book proves that as well. So how did you lay out the book? Well, we wanted to, um, I think we both had the same experience when we were pregnant with our first babies, that we couldn't find everything in the one book. It was either a book on pregnancy or a book on breastfeeding or a book on fertility. We were really adamant that we would have a one-stop shop book, which would take you on the full journey, um, thinking about getting pregnant, your fertility journey, uh, talking about infertility, pregnancy loss, if that happens, then the pregnancy, the birth, and then the postpartum period. So initially we got together 
And I think, you know, we just sort of divvied up the different chapters to each other, like, all right, I'll write chapter one, you write chapter two. And when we first handed in the manuscript, it was like 100,000 plus words. And it was like, <laughs> uh, no, like, <laughs> this is going to be cut in half. And so we had to kill a lot of our darlings. But it was quite therapeutic because it's just the very, for us, we feel like it's these little gems that have made it in there. And we, we're really, really excited. I was going to say, Dr. B, I remember when I was very first telling you about the book and I remember telling you like what our idea for it was, is how we wanted to go from exactly what Teresa said, like from like your first initial thought of wanting to have a baby all the way through the postpartum period. And you were like, uh, is this book going to be like a hundred thousand pages long? Like, <laughs> yeah, because it Pretty sounds much. like, you know, like a three or four volume book. You might as well just throw in there <laughs> like menopause, hospice care, and yeah. burial. You know, I actually was working on a little kid's book about pregnancy, and even there, I broke it up into first trimester, second, third, and then fourth trimester, which is kind of a weird thing to say, fourth trimester, but y'all know what I mean. (laughs) We know what it means. Is there a thing, because I have a thing that I have in my head that I feel like when I bring it up to somebody during pregnancy, they have never heard about it, and they never find out about it until the moment it happens. I'll tell you what mine is, and then let me know if you each have something like that that people are just totally bewildered by. For me, it's the grippy strep positive or just a swab. You know, they don't find out about it until the doctor's coming at them with that swab, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, what's this now? And I'm like, oh, we're just checking for this bacteria. And if you have it, you can't labor at home. You need to come to the hospital right away. And we're going to give you IV antibiotics every four hours. And like, that's kind of stuff it would be nice to know about ahead of time. (laughs) yeah I think you experienced that Sarah did you have positive yeah I did I actually had it with my second and third pregnancy I had it and much more like crazed over it the first time where I was like trying garlic up inside of me and yogurt and like I did so many amazing things but (laughs) I still ended up (laughs) still ended up having to do antibiotics you had had more like things in 7-eleven yeah, I did. I actually found my list the other day. It was like 15 things long of like what I was trying to do to get that count down. And you did to, get it down, just not enough to, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was really close. I mean, I only had seven days to do it. So I was doing a lot of work on that region in seven days. <laughs> Even then, had you like been able to think it through uh, a month earlier, then you would have had time to prepare for it and see what might be possible. Anyway, that's like a big aha moment for me that now I always try to tell people like at 20 weeks, just know this is coming and prepare for it ahead of time. There's another thing that you can't really prepare for, but if you know what it is while you're in labor, I think it's really helpful. So I attended Sarah's birth, her first birth, her home birth, and she had this thing called a cervical lip which you know what that is, Dr. B, where like the cervix swells up like right when you're nine and a half centimetres dilated and sort of labour kind of stalls in a way because the baby can't progress past the cervix because it's sort of swollen. And the midwife, I mean, it's horrendous, especially, you know, um, Sarah didn't have any pain (laughs) relief. So the midwife goes up and sort of holds it back while you have to push with all your might to get the baby's head past the lip. Now, because I had seen that and I had heard that term, I'd never heard of it before until it was happening to Sarah. 
it happened to me with Poet and I knew I was like having the most just in strong, intense rushes, one straight after, like just on top of each other. But I knew I wasn't ready to push yet. I was feeling up there and I could feel that I had a cervical lip. And I said to my midwife, I think I've got a lip. I think I've got a cervical lip because I'm having the strongest contractions I've had and I should be pushing. I know that feeling. I should be moving into the pushing stage or the breathing down stage. And I was like, I swear to God, I have a cervical lip. And sure enough, she went up there and I did. And I had to do the same thing that I had seen Sarah do like six years earlier and like squat on the toilet while she held it back and I pushed and it only took maybe two really, really strong pushes while she was holding it back for her head to come right down. And then she was born in four minutes. But um, that's just something I had never read about. I didn't even know that could happen. And I didn't realize that you can be aware of it as a birthing mother. You don't need your midwife to say, oh, this is what's going on. Yeah, and if I hadn't have been privy to it in Sarah's birth, I wouldn't have known exactly how to handle that moment. And apparently it happens, I'm expecting it's going to happen again with a fourth. So once you've had it once, they say that oftentimes it'll happen again. I've had it with every birth. (laughs) I have every single birth now. And I literally, this last time I looked at my doctor and I said to him like, oh my gosh, this is just my thing. You know, like this must just be my thing. And I swear he has to have such strong, like forearm strength to hold that back for me because it doesn't happen for me quickly. Like it did for you that time, Teresa, like I have a 14 minute video where it was only part of him doing that, but he has to have his hand up there holding the lip back as I'm trying to get the baby's head past. So you can hear him on the video like, okay, you got to get my finger out. Like you have to keep pushing, keep pushing. And I have to like push past the lip and him holding it. It just occurred, Teresa, you could just pretend like it's a video game. You got (laughs) to. You got it. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, let's do it again. Okay. Maybe I went too far. I think the thing I always hear Dr. B is people asking and talking about poop. They like always want to know like, oh, I'm so afraid about pooping and whatever. And, you know, I got to be honest, like there's so much poop involved with my births. I'm, (laughs) I've had three births and there is no holding back on the amount of poo that happens when I am giving birth, especially. I've caught your poo poo before. You've caught my poo. Eric's caught my poo. And apparently like the people around you just become these like wonderfully loving people that just don't even let you see it. So they just kind of like quickly take the wee pads away. So like you don't see, yeah, you don't see that it happens. But my dear friend, Sonia is a doula and she's like, that's just part of it. Like, you know, she actually had this wonderful thing that she (laughs) said to explain, which is going to horrify some people who are listening to this, but there's this point where the head is kind of like pressing And it's like toothpaste, like the head is pressing through and like (laughs) squeezing everything out. So like everything has to come out. And you know what? She's right. And when that moment happens, like everybody in the room is kind of cheering because they're like, okay, that means baby's like 
further down and we're Hi. getting into this spot. Yeah, we're getting into this place. So that's a really good one. You know, <laughs> people either don't know about it or overthink it. They um, overthink yes. it. Yes. They, they overthink it. it. And the truth is, you know, I've been to a lot of births. Uh, I've been to a Sarah birth. I've never had the pleasure of catching any rear poo, though. <laughs> Although I do remember when your little guy was, like, looking. Somebody said something about poo, and he, like, went to look if you pooped or not. Sure. <laughs> I, said, I said that I had the poo, and he was like, I don't see any. You know, oh, he lifted you up your little tummy skirt or whatever you were wearing. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, so I will say this. Generally speaking, it's not logs and logs of poo. It's slivers. Like yeah. you said, usually whether you're at home or in a birth center or a hospital, they have layers of pads underneath you as soon as anything's there mm -hmm. they just pull one away they wipe it oftentimes you well, don't they have a little scooper my husband had a little pooper scooper in the water <laughs> for the tub that's yeah. true one would like yeah. float up he'd just like whoop, and you, he'd go just scoop it out you go fishing you go fishing <laughs> yeah. again another little video game and then uh <laughs> scooping for poo and then the other thing that's really cool about it though is Whoever designed the system, your baby has to kind of push down towards your rectum and then come out the front. And yeah. it's designed to squeeze out whatever's in there because that's how <laughs> your baby gets exposed to your gut bacteria, bacteria and start to make bacteria. their own microbiome. So I think when you put it in exactly. perspective, it's like, wow, this is so cool. I hope like yeah. you wouldn't want to not have a little bit of poo. Yeah. I will give a Zen daddy tip or a Zen partner tip, which is <laughs> um, this almost happened to me at Sarah's birth, but it's happened to me a few times. <laughs> I don't know why. Like when I feed my toddlers uh, baby food or a little baby baby food and I put the food out and I always open my mouth when I do it. Like I hold it up. Mm -hmm. ah. I don't know why. I sometimes I'm like, don't open your mouth, but I still do it anyway. <laughs> when I'm there supporting you somehow in birth, and you're pushing with everything you've got, that 11-pound baby you had, yeah, I start pushing too. And uh, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. When I got in the car from that birth, I thought I had a hernia. Yeah, so, your, your booty was hurting you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was my um, everything. Just I have a to little... say, this last birth that I had, I haven't even told you this yet, Dr. B, but the craziest thing happened that I had not experienced yet. And it's totally on my videos, but I burped so much, like <laughs> full blown belching. And they were so loud and so manly. What is it? The mask you burped loud and manly in your mask. Well, very loudly <laughs> in my mask. And then the mask came off like towards the end because I, <sighs> I literally I was sweating so bad that the water on my face was like wetting the mask. Ooh. I was sweating so hard and I was yeah. so hot. You know how I get in verse, Teresa. I had you like fanning me with the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, I ended up taking it off and I was like, my head was kind of down in my bed anyway, because I was over on the side of the bed and I was like in this squat position. But I just could not stop burping. And most of the time, it was just me and Eric and my doula in the room. And everybody else kind of like left us alone. And then they would come back in and out. But the burping was crazy. And every time my doula would be like, it's great. It's great because, you know, the air is like releasing and baby's going down <laughs> further. And Goldberg would like cheer. And he, my doctor, he would be like, yes. Oh, that's mm -hmm. great. He like kept making me feel so good about it. Because I would do a huge burp, and then I'd be like, I'm so sorry. This is so American. This is happening. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I'm if he's cheering you on, are they getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Yes, yeah. cheerleader. 
All right. You got they this. were. I could talk to you guys works. forever. Is the problem? Uh, we've gone long, <laughs> and there's a million more topics oh, to talk about. But thankfully, yeah. there's a book. So let's talk about two things. Where can we buy this book? I'll remind people it's called The Zen Mama Guide to Finding Your Rhythm in Pregnancy, Birth, and Beyond by Teresa Palmer and Sarah Wright Olson. Where can we buy this book? This book is available where all books are sold. So oh, you can that's buy a... it. Yeah. <laughs> you can buy it anywhere. You can go to yourzenmama.com and it will be right there on the front where it tells you where to buy. You can also go to Amazon. You can go to Barnes Noble. So you can get it anywhere. Where do we find you guys online? Instagram. You can follow us at your Zen Mama and at S. Wright Olson. Yes. And at <laughs> Teresa Palmer. Beautiful. That's right. All right. I thank you guys for writing the book. I thank you for coming on the podcast once again and sharing your incredible energy. And you make the whole thing because it is a ton of work and it's just very challenging each step of the way. Extremely rewarding, but very challenging each step of the way. You guys make it look fairly easy and fun and real. And for that, I am very, very grateful. And thank you, Dr. B, for contributing to our book that we are so, so grateful that you did that and you read it. And thank you for that. Well, yeah, and I, I saw my wife was in there. And your wife yep. is in there? That's I'm, right. I'm hoping to find out some secrets about her. <laughs> All right. At home, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you like the program, share us with your friends, send us feedback, and you can even find us on Instagram as well, whatever that is. It's at Dr. Berlin, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-R-L-I-N. <laughs> I got a whole lot of questions for you This kid's gonna test my will I got a lot to learn and my baby's too